Thanks for all those up, Swindon fans. But you're not there yet. And it goes! Oh, it's gone in! Pritchard left foot in! What a volley! It's the stuff of champions! It's the stuff of dreams! And Donate races it on goal, and Donate! 3-0! Snake from Tompkins. What a goal from Glenn Murray. He's hardly had a touch. On he'll go. Michael Smith. Into what he's All right, hello and welcome to episode 47 of Together a Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. Uh, I'm a little bit under the weather today, so uh, hopefully I won't sniff too much down the microphone or cough or just be generally gross. Uh, but we are one day removed from um, an incredibly frustrating uh, afternoon at the Amex, or for me, 10 o'clock in the morning, so I had even longer to deal with the annoyance. Um, and I think most annoying is that we... We should be talking about a uh, victory today, um, but we're talking about a defeat, and the uh, the Amex hoodoo continues. Uh, we are without a win now um, at home since, um, well, I was in Iceland the last time we won a game at home. Uh, Huddersfield at home, ironically enough, it was Florin Andone with the winner. Uh, certainly was the pretty much sole reason we got beat today, um, but... Let's uh, let's get down to it. Um, so my computer annoyingly restarted after I'd made a sh- crap ton of notes. Um, so I'm going to really just freestyle what I'd remembered saying and go off of what I'm looking at. So uh, apologies if you hear some clickage. Uh, so the stats section. So I feel like it's important to take a look at how we were looking uh, in the first half an hour as opposed to the whole game. Um, so prior to the sending off, uh, we'd add... 53% of the possession, uh, three shots, uh, 74% pass success, two successful dribbles, uh, four corners, um, and we had only been dispossessed four times. Uh, we were keeping the ball well. We were pressing very high. Um, Southampton looked totally toothless. Uh, they'd maybe, I believe they'd had one opportunity, and that was a uh, self-made error from us. Um, but for the most part, they really didn't threaten us at all for that first half an hour. Um, and it truly felt to me like we were on our way uh, to an almost certain victory. Um, we were playing well enough. Our front three looked incredibly lively, fast. And Done was holding the ball up really well. Uh, Morpai was getting in dangerous positions. Trossard was causing problems. Uh, it looked like it was going to be a really good day at the Amex. Um, and then Andone gets himself sent off. Uh, we ended the day with 50.8% possession, even with 10 men. Um, we didn't lose a lot of the ball. Uh, 12 shots apiece. Southampton also had 12 shots. Uh, they hadn't had a single shot in the first half an hour, and they went on to have 12. Um, we were even with 75% pass accuracy. Uh, and we were then dispossessed in further 11 times. Um, it, it changed the game massively. Uh, I'm not complaining about the way Potter handled himself, um, I, for one, was absolutely delighted uh, to see us continue to act positive and continue to play positive. Um, 
and like I said, if we had that extra man, uh, I think that that's the difference between us winning and losing yesterday. Uh, I think we absolutely would have continued to dominate the ball, dominate them in their own half, um, and probably go on to win by two or three goals, actually. Uh, we were that positive and they were that poor. Um, whether it was us causing them to be that poor or not, I don't know. Um, but, of course... Um, the red card happened and it changed the uh, shape of the game massively. Um, so moving on to the good, uh, the good and the bad. So the good probably has to be uh, the way we played, right? The way we played after going down to 10 men is still an incredibly positive way uh, of looking at things. We didn't sit off the ball. We didn't uh, stop pressing and sit back. And it's funny because I think that regardless of the manager yesterday, we were going to lose once we went down to 10 men. Um, but the manner of the defeat was far less demoralizing yesterday than it would have been under Hutton. Um, we saw it in previous games. If we went down to 10 men, uh, we organized all 10 behind the ball. Um, we held out for a draw until around the last 10 minutes, and then we inevitably fell apart and conceded one, if not two, um, and lost the game. Yesterday, uh, we went down to 10 men. Potter made very slight changes to the formation, um, went slightly narrower. Uh, and decided to continue to play our game and hope to be able to get the goal that would take us forward. Um, unfortunately, it led to us being caught on the counter twice, um, and they've scored both times. So it's funny, regardless of what you do, I think we were destined to lose that with whatever manager as soon as we went down to 10 men. Um, but the way in which we handled ourselves was way more reassuring than uh, the usual backs-to-the-wall um, zero shots, zero possession uh, gameplay that we would have done previously. Uh, I thought Solly March was very good yesterday. Uh, two shots, one on target, one key pass, 83% uh, pass accuracy. Um, thought he was very good. Uh, and I also thought Trussard was excellent yesterday. Um, he doesn't look like a man that's comfortable uh, running at pace down the wing, which surprises me. Um, he's definitely someone who likes to play uh, in much tighter spaces um he and it shows with his stats really he had one shot um 74 pass accuracy uh, 50 touches in the game and a whopping seven key passes that is absolutely insane uh i don't think there's a single game pascal gross has even had that amount of key passes so it was really impressive from him um i thought he you know i thought he played really well and excuse me, um, it's a shame that it went the way it did because I think uh, if we would have had that extra man up top, you know, it would have been a totally different game and I think we'd have probably have won uh, and Trossard would have at least got something, um, whether it's a goal or an assist, uh, I think he would have been absolutely key. Um, and my other, my other piece of good um, has to be the way in which the substitutions were made. Um, for me, uh, taking off Solly March, Dale Stevens, and Morpai for Gross Lucardia and Glenn Murray was uh, really positive to see as well. Um, he took off Dale Stevens and put Pascal Gross in the same position as Stevens, but clearly asked him to become uh, essentially a quarterback uh, for the American listeners out there. Um, he asked him to dictate every play going forward, and that's what he did. Uh, Glenn Murray coming on and Lucardia, that's two strikers. Um, Thought it was really positive, uh, but that just about rolls into the bad, actually. Um, and the bad, first of all, uh, has to be Jurgen Lacardia. 
uh, he looks a very different player to the one that started against Watford. Um, a player who was willing to run for the ball, um, who played well with his back two and forward, but back two and front uh, facing the goal. Um, he looked dangerous uh, quite often, uh, either in build-up or in general play uh, against Watford. Um, yesterday, he looked off the pace. Uh, he looked slightly overweight, frankly, um, and missed an absolute sitter at 1-0 to bring us to 1-1. Uh, and even with 10 men and looking as gassed as we were, we might well have gone on to win the bloody game. Um, but that ball falling to him at the back post, uh, I thought it was a definite goal. I could not believe my eyes when he managed to shank it onto the post and miss the entire thing. Uh, I thought he was really poor. He didn't really do much at all. Uh, he gave up a lot of runs that had no reason to give up. Um, he gave up runs that both Andone and uh, Morpai on that side didn't give up and caused big problems and won corners from previously. So uh, I thought he was really bad, um, really disappointing. And my other one uh, for bad has to go to Florin Andone, <laughs> right? Um, what is he doing? Uh, he had 13 touches um, before causing himself to get sent off for no reason whatsoever. Um, he had won two fouls in this time. Um, he was already looking very good. Uh, he was playing a lot of decent balls in the build-up. Um, he was essentially playing the Glenn Murray role. Uh, even though his height is obviously a disadvantage, his strength at holding the ball up was excellent. But he always seems to be one move away from doing something stupid. Uh, and stupid is exactly what he did. Um... On the TV, when I was watching it, I couldn't believe my eyes when he pulled the red straight out. I was like, what the hell? Because it happened so quickly and you didn't get... It was over the other side of the pitch. It looked to me like they just kind of uh, fell over each other. And I didn't really understand. And then when I saw the replay, uh, the tackle was horrendous. Um, he essentially just tried to break the lad's leg. Um, insists he didn't mean to do it. He's told Pottery sorry, and that wasn't intentional. But uh, he has a bit of a uh, he has a bit of previous that makes me think it was intentional. Um, he this isn't the first time he's left an elbow in or made a real cynical, stupid challenge, and this probably won't be the last time. Um, I'll be I'll be very surprised how quickly he wins back his shirt because he had the opportunity of a lifetime today. Uh, yesterday and it played very well for the opening 30 minutes so um, for him to essentially just give up his shirt for three games uh, thankfully one of them is Bristol Rovers uh, so it's only two league games we're without him but it just blows my mind um, and he's doing very little to tell anybody he's anything more than an impact sub uh, forever because you can't trust him for 90 minutes um, it's absolutely ridiculous and my other one of the bad uh, is going to be how Glenn, Glenn, how Graham Potter uh, responds to a little mini losing streak that we're about to begin. So we've been beaten by Southampton at home. Uh, our our un, unwinning streak, uh, winless streak at home continues. Um, and we now have Manchester City away this weekend coming up, which is, I'm not, I don't believe I'm a pessimistic person by saying that that is a all-out guaranteed defeat, barring a miracle. Um, so, you know, we've played four games and we've got four points. Um, and we very much can argue the fact that we should have had nine uh, by the end of our four games. Um, we should have beaten West Ham. We should have beaten Southampton yesterday, uh, barring some huge doses of bad luck and stupidity. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Potter responds uh, and how the team respond. 
to uh, the Burnley game in two weeks' time. It kind of sucks, doesn't it, being in the Premier League? Because, um, unfortunately, you know that uh, there are certain weekends of the year where it's almost a total write-off uh, because you're never going to win the game. Um, away at Liverpool and away at Man City are really only those two only games that you feel that way. But uh, it kind of sucks because it's like almost like a two-week break. <laughs> Um, and then right after Burnley, I believe we do have the international break. So, yeah, it's going to be rough. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Potter responds. It's going to be interesting to see what team he puts out against Manchester City and how he thinks he can combat them. Um, I'm intrigued to see how it works, and we'll take a little look at it later on. Um, but right now, we're on to our second section. Um I didn't actually mention this at the top of the show. Uh, this is a three-part uh, podcast today. Um, first half, well, first third half. First third is the uh, take-back look at Southampton. Uh, our middle half is the VIR debate. Uh, and our final little segment will be looking forward to Man City. So without further ado, let's move on to the VAR debate. Um my thoughts on it, I'm going to be very short and very concise because there's a lot of people that had a lot to say. Um, but my thoughts on it is that it's inconsistent in the way it's used uh, and it's becoming very hard to celebrate any kind of goal um, because you never know uh, how deep VAR are going to look into it to try and rule it out. Uh, Jeff Stelling last week uh, hit the nail on the head for me. Um, VAR is there to stop goals being scored, um, not to help the game that's my view on it uh it's obviously very early days but we have some people um that have definitely contributed uh and i want to give them a shout out before moving on to our voice clips so we have uh at jeff d1293 on twitter uh jeff says it takes far too long uh it should be fully checked in the build-up in order to be able to celebrate properly and not have to wait five minutes to know whether or not we've scored a goal uh, we clearly need more people checking these things so it's almost instant. If we have the technology to see offside, then why don't they set it to alert the referee when there has been an offside so they can stop play immediately? It's a great point, Jeff. There really isn't any reason why they shouldn't be able to do that. Uh, he goes on to say, I understand the subjective ones will always be subjective, uh, but why not make the non-subjective ones instant? Uh, spot on. I agree with you entirely. Um, it goes back to the uh, idea I'd had at some point, I know I've said it on here, but just taking away linesmen altogether and putting in some kind of uh, like robot line tracker that just has like an invisible laser across the pitch and can track the ball as soon as it hits that line. Um, it can't be that hard or like a person, whatever. Um, because as of right now, linesmen are essentially defunct, right? Um, we have a couple more. At uh, StuTree on Twitter says, It's new tech which is working well and will get more refined with time. Uh, the issue it has is working within the rhythm of a game. This, I feel, will be the big area where improvements will be made. Also, there is room for improvement as to keep the fans informed pitch side. Um, fully agree with that too, Stu. Uh, there are, uh, there's been a lot of people online that have said, you know, uh, I, I I was at the game and I knew nothing about what was happening. This is a TV um, initiative. This is for the TV watchers. Well, uh, unfortunately, um, us TV watchers uh, know as much as you do. <laughs> um, there are, I'm watching every game on the TV, right? I don't have a choice. Uh, I can't get over there. So when I'm watching the game, um, it ain't just me. Um, VAR decisions are coming down, um, and the commentary team 
on the television and myself and everybody else watching at home has no idea what's happening either. Um, the fact that the officials, well, not the officials, but the, the commentary that is in the stadium um, and the people watching the television don't know what's happening at the same time um, is an absolute disgrace. You know, you would think that it's one thing if it really was just a TV initiative and people at home were able to know exactly what was going on. Uh, but the fact that nobody knows um, really so shows there is a huge room for improvement, um, keeping the fans informed. Um, at M.A. Goldsmith says VAR is rubbish. Uh, to be polite, it feels like Harry Potter's Dementors. Um, they are sucking the joy out of the game. And that is a vo viewpoint that uh, will be shared further on on some voice clips, I believe, too. Uh, Duncan uh, has contributed. Um, I'm for VAR as it will, will, will remove the obvious errors. At the moment, it's being used incorrectly. In the time it, it takes to get a decision in the rules that it is... In the time it takes to get to a decision, in the rules that it is implementing, and in the communication to the fans while the decision is pending. Sorry, it took me a while. Um, an example is the offside rule. This should be changed back to clear daylight between players. I recognize that this will still come down to millimeters of daylight between them, but at least the player will be a yard or so in advance of the last man. VAR is a force for good. It's not being implemented correctly at the moment and is rapidly losing, or may have even lost, all credibility with the fans. The FA need to review this and some of the rules it is, it is used to adjudicate on ASAP. Again, there's not much argument from me. Um, whatever you uh, agree with or disagree with on any of these inputs, let us know on Twitter. Um, let us know wherever you want. Uh, by, by all means, get in touch. Um, Warren Morgan. Uh, also got in touch. He says, Hi, uh, I suspect VAR will be as popular or unpopular as the most recent decision, depending on whether or not it is in our favour. Uh, last season, there were plenty of bad refereeing calls that made me wish VAR was available. Me too, Warren. Uh, it would have made our survival much less nerve-wracking, but of course I forgot all about that at 3.29 on Saturday. Uh, I think the offside rules and how they are applied under VAR need to be reviewed. If all goals are checked, even where no one perceives any breach, as with Bern and Trossard for last weekend, uh, and where it is questionable as to any advantage game gained, then we are going to see many more low-scoring games. It is a good thing, but how it's used needs to evolve. Um, and I think that's a really good point that he's brought up there. Um... When nobody has appealed for anything to be wrong, uh, and there is literal day, like literal millimeters in it, um, where does clear and obvious begin, right? Um, I find it tough to understand uh, where clear and obvious comes into this because right now it's not being used at all. Um, they are going down to the millimeter to disallow goals, so uh, I don't really understand that at all. Um, David Wagstaff has been in touch via email. Um, I'm just going to read out as much as I can about this uh, on verbatim. Uh, before today's game, which was the Southampton one, um, I would have said that in general I've been surprised at how often VAR has already came up. Uh, I thought it would make a slight difference in games, but after three game weeks, now I have to admit I'm already fed up with it in a lot of ways. It can feel like impossibly strict rules being imposed on players as if they weren't human players at all. Obviously, being a Brighton fan, these past two weeks have inherently made me very biased against VAR. Last week was so harsh because of the length of time between the goal and the decision and the emotional toll, which was also on the team, right? Uh, 
Trossard and the team losing the goal they had felt almost like we had conceded a goal and gave so much momentum to the Hammers. This week, emotion aside, the damn burn offside is called, but the handball in the penalty box by a West Ham defender is totally ignored. This goes back to the handball rule. Um, which I called out at the end of last season as being absurd. Uh, and we've seen it two weeks in a row, and he's going to expand on why. Um, the fact is, this is especially baffling in light of the Tottenham Man City game just last week, uh, where Gabriel Jesus' goal was taken away because of the most minuscule of touches. Um, offsides because of armpits, no goals by matter of centimetres, uh, the emotional toll on players, uh, defenders making extra runs because the linesmen now often wait to call offsides until far too late. Uh, all of this aside, what I dislike most about VAR is that as a viewer, it takes away from my experience. Uh, in Spurs Man City, I wanted Tottenham to win, and still, when the goal was disallowed, it left such a sour taste in my mouth. Uh, every celebration, all the raw emotion I feel when someone scores a goal is checked and lessened by an impending VAR review. Uh, in my opinion, the pursuit of upholding the law of the game uh, has come at the direct expense of the entertainment of the game as a whole. Uh, I think he's right. Um, he goes on to just give a little bit of a view uh, on the Albion, so I definitely want to put that in there too, David. Uh, even with VAR and today's result, I feel really positive about the year and our new style of play. Uh, I loved how, position, how positive the substitutions were today. Me too. Uh, and how well we played. Me too. Uh, even a man down. Hashtag me too. Uh, if Lacardia doesn't suck so badly in that final chance, I think we steal a point. Me too. I truly think we may even get three. Uh, that, and it seems Kevin Friend hates us. Hard to disagree. I feel like every time there's a bad refereeing performance, uh, or at least even just a harsh refereeing performance, it seems to be Kevin Friend at some point against us. Uh, at any rate, he's very curious to see how we fare against Man City. Uh, with Chris as manager, I usually felt we had no chance of winning, um, but we would probably lose respectably at the head he had 1-0 or 2-0. Now I feel we'll play more open and attacking. That may open us up for a 4-0 hammering. Uh, I'm hoping the magic he used in the FA Cup with Swansea hasn't run out. Great point, David. Unfortunately, we don't have Daniel James to cause them the problems he did, so we're going to have to hope for some miracle there as well. Um, we're going to move on to the voice clips now. Uh, this is a bumper-length uh, podcast, so thank you for everybody uh, who listens to all of this. Um, but first of all, uh, we have Marty, uh, who has some VAR views. Um, so I will pass it over to him uh, and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, Josh, I'm going to send it like this. You may need to trim down this first part, this first part but uh, I'm going to just start it off with like, Hey, Josh. All right, here we go. Hey, Josh, uh, this is Marty. Uh, as I was listening to your most recent issue, uh, you bringing up VAR kind of reminded me of a conversation that was happening in the States a few years back, and I think it's probably going to pan out the same way in England. When video reviews started really becoming more frequently seen in the NFL, especially as camera quality got better, you really started to see um, both good and bad calls occurring. Uh, the one that sticks out to my mind the most is, is what is a catch, and it was a Des Bryant uh, catching the playoffs for the Dallas Cowboys that was ruled incomplete. And then the next year they changed the rules, and that would have ended up being complete with the new rules. And then I think they even doubled back on it again. And I think the prem is probably going to end up 
having the same situation happen to them, I guess the good and the bad news is hopefully if VAR is as such is a wild card as we think it is, especially in this first or second season of use, I think at least we can hope that top six squads are going to be affected the same as Brighton. So while like it really sucked having that goal called back, especially on such a uh, an actually great pass by Dan Byrne, big Dan Byrne, um, to Trissard, uh, next year that's probably a goal and they take it back. And then in the flip side, you know the the I think it was the handball with Sterling for Manchester City. That's probably a goal next year too. Uh, we're just gonna have to deal with growing pains until then. I guess that's my thoughts. Um, keep up the great work. Thank you. All right. So thank you very much, Marty, for that. Uh, always some valuable insight from anybody that calls in uh, or calls in. It's not a call-in show. But anybody who uh, sends any kind of information or voice clips through, always going to get played here uh, at Together. So thank you again. Um, let's move on to Tim, who has some thoughts on VAR as well. Hi Josh, it's Tim Palmer. Like you, I'm an exiled seagull. And as you asked, I'd like to send you a couple of thoughts on VAR. I have to say that I'm in favour of VAR because I think it's forced upon us by hyper-televisation and, and hyper-rewards from tournaments like the FA Cup, the Champions League and the Premier League. And if we didn't have VAR, you're going to have all the armchair refs having better information than the real ref. And that isn't going to work. I'm also in awe at the planning that must have gone on in the FA to make this thing happen. The rule change is the training of the team. Uh, and I assume probably also the testing um, with the officials. Um, to make sure that this thing is applied correctly and properly. And I think it has been applied relatively consistently, at least what I've seen. The problem is the effect is not the effect that we want it to have. Uh, you cannot get to a point where you've got teams or fans unable to celebrate goals and groups of fans actually chanting against the VAR system. Um, not because it's wrong, but because they don't know what's going on. And, and I think this is the thing that's the issue. The way it's been applied, or the effect of the way it's been applied in practice. And I hope that the FA, who I think clearly have done their homework and planning and training in the build-up to this, have the guts and the foresight to take stock and adjust the way it is applied and the effect that it has so that it's faster and I think also looking at some of the associated rules so that it's only for those clear errors uh, that this thing is applied not it becomes a goal stopping machine um, you know you find the reason the one reason why uh, it shouldn't be a goal because how many uh, times do you have contact in football leading up to a goal many I'm sure many goals you can find a reason if you go far back enough back in the play um, to to rule it out. Rather, it should be no. It stands 
unless we find that clear and present issue. Uh, and that probably involves also looking at some of the associated rules uh, around offside, around handball and other such things um, to clarify them. They're my thoughts. I'm in favour, but I really, really hope they take stock and adjust. We are not done there. Uh, thank you so much for that. Um, but we still have two more people to go. Uh, and that is not, obviously, we've already gone through a lot of people who have tweeted me or emailed me. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard a lot of different opinions right now. Um, but we still have a couple more. Uh, next up is Robin. A uh, long-awaited debut on the podcast. Um, so here he is. Take a listen uh, and see how you feel about this one. The way in which VAR is being implemented in the Premier League is very rapidly killing my interest in the sport. You might think that's pretty extreme, but for me, one of the best things about going to watch live football is the emotional explosion that comes with celebrating a goal. In two weekends of Premier League football, VAR has pretty much killed that stone dead already. That emotional aspect aside, there appears to be a huge disconnect or miscommunication between what the PL said about how VAR would be used and how it actually is. The key phrase here is clear and obvious. I can absolutely see the argument for VAR being swiftly used to correct any absolute clangers from referees. But what we've seen so far is incidents that no one saw anything wrong with in real time being dissected for several minutes before a decision is made. How can something that is clear and obvious take so long to resolve? If we're going to get geeky and technological about it, VAR officials cannot always be sure whether a player is offside or not. Let's take Raheem Sterling's disallowed goal against West Ham last week as an example. After all of the various lines were drawn on the screen by the VAR official, the software showed Sterling to be 2.4 centimetres offside. 2.4 centimetres! At the time, he was running at roughly 14.5 miles an hour. Cameras used by VAR run at 50 frames per second. Therefore, in the 0.2 seconds between the first frame, the passer has not yet played the ball, and the second frame, the ball is moving, Sterling's moved 13 centimetres. So if it was 2.4 centimetres offside in the second frame, he was 10.6 centimetres onside in the first frame. So VAR has to use the frame that shows categorically that the ball has been played. But due to the speed of the cameras, the point of first contact on the ball will have come between the first and second frames at some point. So it's impossible to know exactly when Sterling went from onside to offside. The fact that we're having to talk about such ludicrously fine margins shows that the technology usage has gone far too far. We're now seeking answers to questions that no one has asked and using superhuman involuntary movements to judge someone offside. There should be a 30 to 60 second window for the VAR official to review an incident. If nothing is spotted in that time, the referee's original decision stands. The final aspect worth pointing out is that VAR is still administered by humans with different opinions. A lot of decisions referred to VAR have no clear-cut answer. Take the example of shirt pulling in the box. That's something that some officials are very hot on giving penalties for and others routinely ignore. When incidents like this are looked at by VAR, there's still going to be huge subjective elements to what happens. All in all, I'd much prefer the use of technology to stop at the use of goal line monitors. Conclusive, no arguments and almost instantaneous in terms of decision making. VAR, no thanks. Thanks so much, Robin. Uh, great debut on the, the Together podcast. I'm sure you'll agree. 
Uh, and finally, last but not least, uh, Ross, a friend from the end of last season, has definitely got in touch. Um, he has quite a lot to say on this inc- on this incident, on this uh, new technology that's came in from the Premier League. Um, so, by all means, take it away. Enjoy. Hi Josh, it's Russell here with my first contribution to the new season. Decent start for the Albion, fantastic win at Watford and probably deserved to win on Saturday. Um, So a bit of a shame there, but fantastic start for Mr Potter who had just been appointed last time we spoke. Anyway, as for the new season's um, main talking point, both for the Albion and beyond is of course VAR. Um, Good old VAR. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a shame. I'm in favour of... Any technology that can improve the game, I think that video technology for goal line decisions um, has certainly improved and was far too late in coming. It should have come sooner, in my own own personal opinion. But when it has come in, its usage has been vindicated straight away. As far as VAR, the version of video technology that we've been given for other key decision-making goes, I think we've got some problems here. The, The main problem is timekeeping, of course. I do think that um, it's really important to get key decisions right as much as you can. So certainly in the case of um, clear-cut decisions on penalties, uh, red card offences and all the other things, that's fine. I think the, the problem is that some of those decisions are taking too long to reach a conclusion. Um, moreover, in the case of offside decisions, as we saw in the Albion's game on Saturday, that's where the key problem is because offside has a greater issue. First of all, it's a bit more subjective. Secondly, it's it's too from different angles. It's it can it can take some different turns in terms of um, readability, whether things look onside or not. There's obviously been some question marks about the way they've been using the horizontal lines across the pitch. There was a question mark here and there about that. They seem to have got that sorted, but. The fact is, we're talking about very marginal decisions. Uh, the Daily Fail, as we love to call it, or the Fail on Sunday, actually, um, had an article entitled Fatal Flaw in VAR, Proof New Technology Can't Rule Correctly on Offside Calls, that was in their um, their weekend edition this week. And it's something to do with the frames per minute, something like 50 frames per minute on the VAR system, which ultimately means they can't judge it too accurately and when we're talking very, very marginal decisions, should that really be having a ruling? What it comes down to, in other words, is clear and obvious. So is there a clear and obvious mistake? No. The referee didn't see it. The linesman didn't see it in the matter of Albion's game of the weekend. Um, the, the players were happy to set themselves up ready to kick off again. There didn't seem to be an issue. And yet VAR has then looked for and found a very marginal problem. That's where the issue is. It's looking for and finding marginal errors. That doesn't go into the spirit of the wording that they themselves use, the authorities, of clear and obvious errors. I don't think that was a correct usage of it. I do think, ultimately, they just about got the right decision from what we've seen. Um, Byrne was half a yard off. His leg was off. Um, some people have been a bit more, shall we say, unfair in the criticism of the decision itself um, I think it was just off and I don't think it was a second phase because no one had touched the ball. Very unfortunate. It goes against the, shall we say, the spirit and the, the thrust of the game and of that particular attack 
as did Manchester City's disallowed goal, like what would have been a last-minute winner in their game, where there was a completely inadvertent handball that probably didn't have too much of an effect on possession, um, but yet led to Jesus scoring what would have been a winner. So I think in both those cases, you can see that there's, there's an issue. I think if you're going to use VAR for offside decisions, you have to have a rethink. I think you've got to have it for just purely um, more clear-cut situations. Um, I do think the offside rule needs changing anyway. I think it needs to go back to being a question of the so-called daylight um, gap um, in terms of someone being clearly offside. Um, That's another matter, as is the handball rule as it currently stands. But... The clear and obvious issue is is the one for me, and that's what needs changing. How we go forward, I don't know. I'm not sure if they can adapt and adjust what they've put in place for this season very quickly or easily, but certainly, as it currently stands, it's causing problems more than it needs to. There are going to be occasions when decisions are made to overrule a goal, and it's the correct decision, and it's a blatant offside, or it's a a blatant handball, or something that's favoured the attacking team, and that I still don't have a problem with, even if it takes a little bit of time, but I do think that um, we need to restrict the number of times that long-winded decisions are made, because it's affecting the game for the supporters. I've got friends mutual friends who you know as well, who have um, been in furious discussion on this matter, saying that it's affecting the spirit of the game, it's affecting that raw emotion, the the joy of scoring a goal. You've got at the back of your head a flicker of doubt, at the very least now, whenever a goal goes in, that you can't quite celebrate fully in the same way, with the same 100% level of passion necessarily as you could do in the past. So there there is a shame with that. And I think... I think the way it's being used, I think it could be improved. It could be um, sped up. And I think if a decision can't be made within, say, about 30 seconds, for argument's sake, 30, 40, maybe 45 seconds, then that should be deemed as too long to be debating it, i.e. it's not a clear and obvious enough decision. Then the game should go on. Two minutes is too long. I think in in very exceptional cases it might be all right, but generally two minutes is too long and it is stifling the game. So in the current format, there's certainly some changes need to be made. I look forward to seeing if we can make some improvements. We'll see. In the meantime, Albion, who certainly missed out on a number of decisions last season due to the lack of any video um, evidence um, in the the rules... um, are now unfortunately on the back of the <laughs> finding it the flip side they're actually on the receiving end of a decision that would easily have been given in our favour but hey ho <laughs> we'll see how it goes anyway onwards and upwards and on to the next game let's hope we can beat Saints with or without VAR and he's not done there he needed a little more time uh, to collect his feelings so let's go back to Russ and let him wrap up just as one footnote to my earlier comments about VAR, one thing I would like to add really is that also I do think what we've got to do one way or the other is to give the authorities time to try and get this right. I don't think it's very easy. I think there's a lot of work and effort and organisation goes into um, well, facilitating and trying to implement this process. Getting the balance right is difficult. It is going to take them time and I think a lot of people are getting very irate very quickly. I think everyone does need to just take a little bit of a, a calmer stance on this and at least allow the authorities time. I know a lot of criticism comes in that uh, 
we tend to get the, these things wrong um, in this country. Uh, it takes a while. There's always seem to be screw-ups, particularly where people like the FA are concerned. But I do think in this case, we do need to leave a little bit of time to uh, allow this to really see if it can run its course and see if it can be integrated into the game without fundamentally changing the dynamics of football as we love it. Um, so let's just see how we go. So thank you all. Uh, huge discussion, huge debate. Um, I have no doubt this is something that is going to uh, go on and on all season. Um, just like yesterday, uh, we had this uh, a couple of VAR incidents again. Um, we talked about them earlier. Uh, you know, it isn't going to go away. Um, it's happening to the biggest teams in the league. Uh, so it's not something that's just happening to us. It's happening to everybody. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it grows and evolves or if it does or not. Um, because if it doesn't, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Um, but thank you all for getting in touch. Uh, please continue to get in touch. If you want to talk about anything else um, at any other time, your opinion is valid. Your opinion is valued. Um, and we want all of the feelings and thoughts here. Uh, so please just feel free to send me anything you have um, and it will all make it onto this podcast and we can all talk about it um, and carry on. But for our last segment today, because it's only a three-segment three, uh, three segment show this week, uh, as we said, because of the sheer wealth of opinions and thoughts you all had on VAR. Um, so the last one is obviously Manchester City, right? We've gone over the Southampton game um, and we've gone over VAR. So this, the Manchester City game is coming up next week uh, at the Etihad. We do have Bristol Rovers midweek. Um, that is going to be most certainly one of our stories of the week next week. Um, but... You know, I expect us to probably play uh, a reserve side and win the game. Um, so we shall see what happens there. No doubt I'll have egg on my face. But um, Manchester City, unbeaten so far this season. Uh, a draw with Liverpool, a draw with uh, Tottenham. Well, I mean, they've only played two games this season. My bad. That's the uh, Community Shield. Um they drew with Manchester City in the Community Shield. Uh, they hammered West Ham away from home, 5 nothing, uh, And they got a draw uh, home to Tottenham. They play Bournemouth tomorrow at Bournemouth. Uh, never an easy game. And then they have us come visiting. Um, so far this season, uh, only two games, of course, but they've scored seven goals, 22 shots per game on average. <laughs> uh 33 yellow, uh, 33, goodness me, three yellow cards, 55.2% uh, possession on average, um, and an 88.5% pass percentage, uh, and 16 aerials won. Uh, they are not a joke. Um, they are the best team in the league. They won the league last year. Uh, they'll probably win the league this year. Um, so how do you combat a team like this? Um it's very difficult to do it, <laughs> especially in their own place. Um, you know, they're very strong uh, whatever way you play them, right? They can finish their chances. Uh, they're deadly on the counter-attack. They're deadly down the wings. Um, they're deadly through the middle with De Bruyne back playing unbelievable football already. Um, they're incredible at creating scoring chances. Um, and if they don't play through you, they can take a shit ton of long, long shots um, and cause you problems there too. Uh, they control the game um, all in usually an hour half uh, and for players you know when they were playing against the Chris Hutton side it's their perfect time right because that's, he's literally playing into their hands um, 
the only thing they are poor at uh, is defending a lead. Um, and the reason I say that is because they are prone to letting in stupid goals. Um, they could be 2-0 up and they'll concede a stupid weak goal um, and then look shaky for five minutes. Uh, and that's exactly how Palace beat them last year. Um, they are very bad against defending against long shots. They tend to allow a lot of long shots if... I mean, it's kind of a characteristic of them to keep them out, keep people outside of the box, right? The problem is that if you have someone who's good at shooting outside the box, they can be cause problems. Um, so, how do you beat them? Well, uh, you counterattack them as much as they counterattack you. Uh, you, goodness, I'm not sure. Graham Potter is going to have to pull an absolute friggin' magic spell out of his hat today. Uh, because I really don't know what he does to get anything out of this. Um, Palace defended incredibly well. Um, they made several outrageous stops to keep themselves in the game, um, and they counterattacked well, and just about everything went perfectly for them um, during that time. When we played Man City uh, in the FA Cup semi-final, we did the same thing, pretty much. Um, except instead of taking those long shots and kind of pushing forward and taking those chances, uh, we played for set pieces and hoped to do the same thing, but with Duncan Duffy at the back. Um, didn't work, but on another day it may well have. Um, what Potter is going to do is an absolute mystery. Um, and I think it's incredibly interesting to see how he is going to react um, and how he is going to play, put this team out, right? We've we started the season incredibly well, um, winning 3-0 away from home. We drew 1-1 with a side at home that we really should have beaten uh, and were really unlucky not to. And we've just come away uh, with yet another defeat at home um, that literally only happened because we got sent down to 10 men with 30 minutes gone on in the game. So he's had a lot of bad luck already. Um, so, and we're only two games in, um, three games in, but we've only had two games where we haven't won. And both of them are games that we probably should have. So it's going to be interesting to see how he deals with a losing streak, because I think that's coming up. Um, we have Manchester City next, uh, so that's almost definitely going to be two games on the on the trot. Um, and then we have Burnley at home next, uh, a Burnley team that really ripped us a, ripped us a new one um, the last time they came to the Amex and are in, in, in incredibly good form so far um, and looking a lot more like the team that finished seventh two years ago than the team that struggled last year. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Potter does and how he... A, keeps the team's heads up, um, and B, chooses to play these games. Uh, there's not really much point on saying who to watch, right? Because they've got Kevin De Bruyne, who is back and in outrageous form. Um, three assists already this season. Uh, Raheem Sterling is in outrageous form. He's scored four goals already this season. Um, Riyad Mahrez, who barely could get a place in the side last year, is on two assists already. Uh, you know, Rodrigo looks an incredibly good signing. Um, Gabriel Jesus has already scored. Uh, Aguero is on two goals. So, you know, it's, I don't know what we're going to do. Um, I think we have to obviously accept that we're almost definitely going to get beat, um, and really focus on the Burnley game the following week. But, 
I do feel that Potter is going to cause a huge upset somewhere down the line. Um, whether it's taking a win out off of Liverpool, uh, taking a win off of uh, Manchester City, Arsenal, Chelsea. Um, he's going to do. He's going to take points against the top six this year. Uh, I can't see it being this particular team, but he's going to do something. Um, I'm just intrigued to see when it will happen and who it will be against. Possibly Spurs in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but thank you for listening. Uh, it's tough to really do a preview for... It's been a r- rough few weeks for previews, right? Uh, we didn't know what to expect with Watford um, because they've not really done anything. We haven't played a game. It's rough to put a uh, perspective in for Southampton when they just played Liverpool, and it's rough to put in a preview um, for the best team in the world. So... Next week, uh, hopefully, we'll have a couple of games worth of data uh, behind us with Burnley. Uh, and it's also a, a game that we, you know, have definitely have a chance to win. So a bit more in-depth previews coming up after this one. Um, but thank you again for listening. Uh, at Together BHA, uh, like, review, subscribe uh, on iTunes or whatever else you listen to would be hugely appreciated. Um, and you can chat to me wherever you want. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, anywhere you like. So thank you so much and have a good week.